We're going to read two short passages from this chapter. We're reading the account of the healing of Jairus' daughter, and we'll begin reading at verse 21, down to verse 24, and then we will read verses 35 to 43. So, Mark chapter 5, please, beginning our reading at verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet, and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And now verse 35. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead, why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with, there were, that were with him, and entereth in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and saith unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, Arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. Amen. Let's ask God in a moment now as we bow our heads together to bless His Word to our hearts and to give help in preaching and hearing of His gospel. Father in heaven, we come to Thee this evening, and we are thankful for the opportunity to be here, to render praise to the Most High God. Lord, help us to remember where we were when You found us. Help us to remember that we were stuck in the miry clay, that we were dead in sins, that there was no hope and we were strangers from God. And yet, Lord, you saved us. Your grace reached us. And now we're sitting here tonight in our right mind at peace with God, with the, the promise of a home in heaven. And Lord, we pray now for those who are still in their sins, for those who are still outside Christ, who don't know Him personally, though they may have strong associations with the church of Jesus Christ visible on this earth, yet they do not have any citizenship in heaven. I pray that you would save them tonight, Lord. I pray that you would do this for your own glory, for the extension of your kingdom. Use me tonight, Lord. Please speak through me. Let not my name be remembered. Let the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ's name be lifted up. Let him be high and lifted up tonight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. About three years ago, because of work, I had the privilege of visiting the Sea of Galilee in Israel. The Sea of Galilee, also in the Scriptures called the Sea of Tiberias, 
is the largest freshwater lake in Israel. And because of the way we use the term sea, you might have thought of it, if you've never seen a picture of it or heard about it, to be a very large body of water that if you stood on one shore, you could not see the opposite shore. Well, that's not the case. It's a large lake. It's less than half the size of Loch Ness. It's 13 miles by 8 miles, and surrounded on most sides by fertile ground and some steep hills. It's a beautiful location, and it has been thriving with life for thousands of years, and it was around this large lake, this Sea of Galilee, that the Lord Jesus Christ conducted much of His personal earthly ministry. Many of the sites where Christ ministered can be visited today, including the town called Capernaum which is the general location of this account in Mark 5. Mark 5 and 21 tells us that Jesus was passing across the Sea of Galilee by ship, and when He had reached the other side, verse 21 says, much people gathered unto Him, and He was nigh to the sea. This town called Capernaum was a place where there was at least one synagogue, because one of the individuals that met Jesus Christ as He stepped off the ship and onto the shore was a man called Jairus, a a ruler of the synagogue, a devout Jew, a religious man, perhaps not the kind of person who would have been expected to come and meet Jesus Christ, and certainly not the kind of person who you would expect, if you know anything about the Bible, to then do what Jairus does, which verse 22 tells us was to fall at his feet. This man was a man of standing in the local community, a man of dignity among the Jews, a man of great learning, a man that belonged to a social group who normally scorned the Lord Jesus Christ and spoke poorly and critically of Him. I want to point out something of the nature of this meeting very briefly. Jairus did not know the Lord's schedule. He did not know that Jesus was going to be there at that moment on that day. Jesus, however, came. Jesus passed that way, and every time the gospel is preached, Jesus is passing this way. And so, sinner, this evening, if you are without Jesus Christ, if you are not saved, Jesus is passing this way tonight. And the best thing you can do is to follow Jairus' example and to come and fall at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did Jairus fall at Christ's feet? Well, it's because he was facing the problem of death. The problem of death. Verse 23, he says, And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. Jairus had no time to waste. There was no small talk. There were no pleasantries. He came to Christ most urgently and begged him to intervene in the life of his little daughter, who was so sick, just 12 years old. For all Jairus knew, she might have been about to take her last breath as he stood appealing to Christ to come and to heal his little daughter. It was good that Jairus came to Jesus Christ, wasn't it? If there was anybody in Israel who could help him, it was the Lord. But if you look carefully at the passage, you'll realize that Jairus could only see one possible scenario for how it would end well for his daughter. Only one. Because in verse 23, Jairus said, I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed and she shall live. Jairus is asking Christ to come and heal his daughter while she still had life. That's an important point to note. Jairus knew that the Lord Jesus Christ was a healer. The Bible tells us 
that Christ had gone all around the region of Galilee and further afield, working great miracles. Mark 1 tells us of how Christ took a woman by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. Mark 1, and a few verses later, tells us of Christ healing a leper. Both of those miracles took place in the region of Galilee, where Christ is now, where Jairus is based. He's the ruler in the local synagogue in Capernaum. So, Jairus knew, without a doubt. In fact, the Bible tells us that people knew from hundreds of miles around of the Lord Jesus Christ, because in Mark 3, we, tell, we are told about a great multitude from these places, Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, beyond Jordan, a different country entirely, and from Tyre and Sidon. A great multitude, when they had heard what great things He did, came unto Him. The point is this. Jairus believed that Jesus could heal the sick. He believed that Jesus could heal His daughter and save her life as long as He got there while she still lived. It seems by that that Jairus believed that Christ's power was limited. There is no hope being held out by Jairus for his daughter if she should die. And you can see that his, her, his servants didn't hold out any such hope either. Mark 5 and 35, if you look there with me, please. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As far as Jairus and his servants were concerned, death was the end. With death, hope exited. Sickness, yes, Christ could have done something about that, but death, no, no, that was a bridge too far, even for this great healer. They are, in effect, the servants saying to Jairus, Jairus, your daughter is dead. What's the point? I want you to put yourself there beside Jairus and remember what it is like to be speaking to someone who has lost a loved one. It's so hard to know what to say. It's so difficult to find words that will offer any real comfort. And therefore, it's very remarkable that we find the Lord Jesus Christ saying to Jairus, be not afraid, only believe. It's very difficult when we think of death to think of things that will truly bring comfort. And we're going to look at these words that Jesus speaks to Jairus. Before we do so, there are certain things we need to understand about this problem of death. Three things initially. The first thing I want you to understand tonight, and I don't know many of you, you may be very familiar with the gospel. Whether you are or you aren't, we need to hear it again. We need to hear the old story, and we need to remind ourselves of the truth of God's Word. Firstly, the problem of death is unavoidable and irreversible. Jairus, thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? Those words are telling us the same truth that we find in 2 Samuel 14 and verse 14, which says, For we must needs die, and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. We must needs die. Death is unavoidable. It awaits us all. And we are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Death is irreversible. Jairus' servants knew it. It seems that in Jairus' words, he knew it, and we all know it. Everyone dies. Once our souls leave our bodies, they're gone. It's over. We pass away. 
Jairus was very aware that death is unavoidable and irreversible. Secondly, we need to remind ourselves that the problem of death is a problem of our own making. And that, if it's your first time in hearing it, will be a difficult one to swallow. How could I really, preacher, how could I be responsible for my own death? How could it be my fault? Would you turn with me, please, to Romans? Romans in chapter 5. We're taught here the truth from the Scriptures of how death came into this world. Why it is that anyone ever dies. It's found here in Romans 5 and verse 12, which tells us, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. This verse is teaching us that there's a direct connection between sin and death. Death is the result of sin. Death came into the world for the first time because of the sin of one man, and his name was Adam. He was the first man. He was the representative of us all. We have all descended from him. And in Adam, all sinned. He represented us all there in the garden as a perfect man representing us all, being given one command to obey and yet disobeying the command, and therefore sin entered into the world. The problem of death is a problem of our own making, of humanity's own making. We die because we're sinners. Thirdly, the problem of death is spiritual as well as physical. And by physical death, we obviously mean the death of the body, the death that is expected through old age and illness and tragedy. But there is a spiritual death. You have a spiritual part of you. You are not just body. You are not just brain and chemicals. You have a soul. When God created Adam, he formed his body from the dust of the ground, and then the Bible tells us, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And so when the Bible describes us in Ephesians 2 verse 5, for example, as being dead in sins, it is telling us that right now, though you live and breathe and look at me and talk and eat, you're spiritually dead, unsaved person. You're spiritually dead. And that means that you can do no good before God. You are in a state of death. Spiritually speaking, you are like a corpse. You can do nothing. You cannot please God. This is why it is so tragic, Christian, isn't it, that there are thousands and millions of people around the world who think that if they do enough, pray enough, give enough, they can get to heaven. But they can't because they're spiritually dead. Not what these hands have done can save my guilty soul. The problem of death is spiritual as well as physical. To be dead in sins means that although your soul exists now and will exist forever, it exists in this state of spiritual death, a state caused by sin and therefore something that God must punish. You can't please God. You can only anger Him. I believe that Jairus would have known much of what I've said about death so far because he was very familiar with the Old Testament Scriptures. He was a Pharisee. He was, rather, he was a leader in the synagogue. And now that the servants have come from his house and given him the worst possible news that any parent could ever receive, what hope does he have? Is there anything that can be done? 
What would you say to Jairus? Well, let's look carefully at what Jesus said. Mark 5 and verse 36. And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. This story is given to us as well in Luke's gospel, and I want to read a verse from Luke to you because it expands a little further. Luke 8, verse 50, but when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. What a blessing it was that Jairus had the Lord there with him. What a blessing. How good God had been to Jairus. Isn't it good to hear the words of Jesus Christ? Jairus was devastated with the worst news that any parent could ever have. And then to hear these words of Jesus Christ, be not afraid, only believe. There's hope again. Whereas before he had been plunged into absolute devastation, now Jesus gives him hope. Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole, Luke tells us, Jesus said. Jairus was undoubtedly a bit confused. Talk about mixed emotions. To be told that your child is dead. And then to be told by a remarkable person who can heal, who can heal lepers and people with fevers and the woman with the issue of blood and blind people and demon-possessed people and has such wisdom and power that none of the scribes and Pharisees has and knows the Scriptures intimately to hear that man say, be not afraid, only believe. Well, there was hope. And that teaches us the fourth and final, and one we will spend the longest time on, truth about death. That the problem of death is solved by Jesus Christ. The problem of death is solved by Jesus Christ. Jairus was given this hope by the Lord, and we see truth, we see proof rather, that he did believe. Because he goes with Christ and two, uh, three of his disciples back to his house. He pushed back through the crowd, through the multitude to his house with those words ringing in his ears, only believe and she shall be made whole. That was all he had. But he believed. To believe is to have faith. Now, when we come to Mark 5 and verses 38 and 40, I want you to contrast Jairus's faith with the action of those who were at his house. Verse 38 says, And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entereth in. Outside Jairus' house, if you had been there that day, you would have seen family members, some friends, people from the community and commentators advise, probably some professional mourners. This used to be more common even in our culture. Don't know if you've ever gone to the famine village. You see the pictures of the women holding the wake. There were mourners outside Jairus' house. According to Eastern customs, they were simply probably making a racket, trying to create an atmosphere of a general lament. Some of them may have been making music. In Matthew's gospel, they're described as minstrels. They weren't making happy music. They were playing lament and sad music. They were grieving the sad loss of a young daughter. Tradition dictated that at the moment of a person's passing, this wailing and weeping and music would begin. 
And now that the girl's passing has been confirmed, and everyone knows that she is, sadly, but definitely dead, the music has begun. And then the mourners see Jairus coming with his wife and with Jesus and three other men. And Jesus comes into the house and challenges them and says, the damsel's not dead. She's sleeping. And after a few seconds of stunned silence, this ludicrous suggestion is met with scornful laughter. How ridiculous. You haven't even seen the body. What do you mean she's not dead? These people derided Jesus, verse 40, they laughed him to scorn. Who in their right mind could think that this girl, who was clearly dead, is only sleeping? They do not believe. But Jairus did. Jairus had faith, but these people, the mourners, perhaps family members and friends, were filled with unbelief and scorn for the words of Christ. Let me warn you tonight against making their mistake. For if you come to this house on a regular basis and hear the gospel preached, you are in the same boat as these people. You're an unbeliever. You don't believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't believe that he has power over death and that at his word and command you can be made alive. Don't be an unbeliever. The hymn says, blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. They knew who Jesus was. Remember what I said earlier? Everyone in the area knew of him. People from hundreds of miles away knew of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had seen him do things that were inexplicable. They had seen him do things that were absolutely remarkable, but still, they don't believe. They laugh him to scorn. But Jairus and his wife believed. Only believed. Mark 5, verses 40. Christ puts them all out. And then in verse 41, we're told, He took the damsel by the hand and said, to, said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway, the damsel arose and walked. Just like somebody getting up from a nap. Like she was not dead at all. She straightway, immediately, got up and walked. Luke 8, verse 55 tells us these important words. And her spirit came again. Her spirit came again. And she arose straightway. And he commanded to give her meat. Luke's account specifically mentions the return. The return of this girl's immortal soul. She had been dead. The soul had left the body. And God's Word proves that again by telling us that when Christ commanded her, Talitha Kumai, the Spirit came again into her body, like Adam's Spirit came into him in his moment of creation there in Eden as he lay in the dust. Her Spirit came again. Christ commanded life, and the soul re-entered the body. This proves that the soul never goes out of existence. Do you believe in annihilation? You're wrong. This proves that physical death is not the end. This proves also that Christ has power over body and soul. The Lord Jesus commanded his disciples, fear not them which are able to kill the body, but rather fear him which can kill the body and soul in hell. 
Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7 tells us that when a person dies, this is what happens. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return to God who gave it. It was God who gave man his soul. And so it was entirely within the power of Jesus Christ, who is God the Son, to command this girl's soul to come back into her body. And in spite of her illness, in spite of the fact that she was definitely, indisputably dead, to straightway rise and walk. Christ solved the problem of death. Christ did what sin had done. He defeated death. He has the power to do this. And in this gospel meeting tonight, Christ is offering you victory over death because He has personally won that victory. He has won that victory. Romans 6 and verse 9 tells us, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, sin hath no more dominion over Him. The same divine power unsaved person, the same divine power that Jesus Christ used there that day to raise Jairus' daughter from the dead to command her soul back into her body, He can use that power, as He did in His own resurrection, to raise you spiritually from the dead. And if you trust in Him as a believer, having been made alive, having been quickened, then one day after you have died physically and your spirit is with the Lord in heaven, your body lies in the ground, He one day will cause your physical body to rise from the ground, be reunited with your soul, and He will bring you home to Himself in a new body, made perfect. Christ has power over death. As he went to Calvary to give himself as a sacrifice, he paid the debt of sin. And there he cried out that his work was finished. And after three days under the power of death, for a time, he rose and his soul and body were reunited. His human soul and his human body. And he lived again. And that fact of his resurrection was witnessed by over 500 people. Some have tried to disprove that, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The most, the most skeptical atheists have tried and failed, and some have even been converted as they did it. This is fact. This is historical fact, that Jairus had a daughter who died, and Jesus Christ raised that wee 12-year-old girl, and she lived again. And for the rest of her life, was an amazing testimony to the power of Jesus Christ, who shortly after would go himself and die and raise himself from the dead through his own supernatural power. This evening, sinner, Jesus Christ offers you victory over death. He offers to solve the problem of death for you. Turn with me as we close to 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, please. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. We have here the solution to the problem of death clearly presented, verses 21 and 22. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. And in that verse, we have Adam contrasted with Christ. And that's made very clear by verse 22, which tells us, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. If you are in Christ, and only if you're in Christ, 
you will be made alive. You will be raised. When he comes again, your body will be raised from the ground and reunited with your soul. You will defeat death in every sense. But you don't have to wait until then to know victory over death. You can know that victory now by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting in him alone because he offers to save you from your sins and not to leave you being dead in sins anymore, spiritually dead, as far as God is concerned, good for nothing, unable to please him. No, Christ will make you alive now and he will make you to live to God and to live for good works and to serve the Lord and to walk in newness of life. That's what Jesus Christ can do for you. And that also means that you needn't fear death. Though death is often painful and we don't run towards it, yet the Christian, when all is said and done, does not really, should not really fear death. Death is our entrance into heaven. Death is us leaving the veil of tears, the place of sorrow, the place of struggles with sin, and going to be with our Lord. Why would we fear that? And if you don't know Christ, you can come to that point as well. You can come to that point tonight, where you will no longer fear death. And you'll be able to take for your own the words of Psalm 23, verse 4, which says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Come to Jesus Christ this evening. I leave you with his exhortation to Jairus. I caution you against the sin of unbelief. Be not afraid. Only believe and be saved. May God write his word on our hearts. Thank our brother very much for bringing God's word. And we're going to sing this closing hymn. We'll stand to sing, please, face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be when with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Lovely hymn. Let's stand together and sing, please. Let's stand, please.
ask our brother Stephen to close the meeting in prayer, please. Those who, all those of us who know and love thee, look forward with great anticipation to that day when we will be face to face with our Redeemer. We pray, Father, that you would give us grace to continue to walk with you, to trust and obey, to keep the commandments, and therefore prove our love for God, to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ that has been extended to us, to all our unsaved family and friends. Lord, we ask tonight that you would speak on to the sinner. Lord, that voice which really is the only voice that we want to be heard speaking, the voice of the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would convict sinners of their state before God, that they would come to know him in whom is life eternal, that they would come and take the victory over death that is offered in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the glorious message of the gospel. Lord, when all is said and done and this world has been burned up and remade, we will be in heaven singing the praises of the Lamb. Lord, we pray that there will be some in this meeting who are yet unsaved who will be found on that day with us, in, in that eternity with us there. We ask that you would save them for your own glory. And we ask that you would do this this evening in accordance with the promise of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.